Hello and welcome to the Home Assistant Podcast. This is episode 2021.11. And as usual, my name is Rohan Karamandi, and I'm joined by the one and only Phil Hawthorne. Hey, Phil. Hey, Rohan. How's it going? This episode is sponsored by Home Assistant Cloud by Navigasa. Easily access your local Home Assistant instance remotely for a small monthly fee that supports the Home Assistant and ESP home projects. Configuration is done by the user interface, so there's no fiddling with router settings, SSL certs, or any other YAML. 2021.11, what that means is like, like what, like two releases left for the year? Well, I guess this release and one more release, and then that's One it. more, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Crazy, crazy. That is, uh, I know it feels like just now did they start, uh, you know, whether it's the naming, whether it's whatever, like yeah. just the 2011, or sorry, 2011, 2021. Yeah, you're right. It's it's the year's almost there. Yeah. All right. So uh, should we kick it off with uh, some new features coming in this release? Um, yeah. So one thing that I'm very uh, it's it's a small thing, but I think it's an important one. Home Assistant now has the ability for devices or services which have their own web front end to tell Home Assistant where that is. So this is going to be a fantastic feature for. Uh, all those little IoT gadgets that you've got running around the house that have their own IP address on your network, and if you need to go in and, and change a setting, you need to log into that IP address. I don't know about you, Rahan, but I've got a few, even like not even just devices, right? Like I'm running, you know, Grafana, yeah. uh, Sonar, Radar, everything, right? Like everything's got a an IP address and port somewhere that I have to remember. I've got a bookmarks yeah. folder somewhere. Even if it's an API or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, it, it's tricky right uh so yeah. now the integrations in home assistant can now uh report to home assistant you know this is the url that a user needs to go to to configure it so for example uh if you've got a plex instance when you set up your plex uh installation with home assistant you put in i think uh, depending on the way you go it you either put in your ip address for your plex server yeah. Or you might put in your Plex username and password if you've got a Plex pass and, and go up through the cloud and then it will discover all your servers that way. Now Home Assistant can tell, all right, you know, server A is on this IP address and there will be a little button against the device in the Home Assistant UI. So if you ever need to configure the device, you can click that button and Home Assistant will take you directly to that url interesting that's actually really really cool i mean it's 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 funny because literally yesterday so um i was trying to set up uh reset up a couple of my wemos and again because um for whatever reason when i had you know changed around my network whatever there was uh i had forgot to set a couple of the static ips on a couple of the wemos that i had disconnected yeah and uh yeah so now all of a sudden they're uh the IPs have changed and it was like, okay, you know, I can find the IPs, but then it's also labeled differently. Right. So it's like, okay, yeah. well, the salt lamp isn't the salt lamp anymore. And like that kind of thing. And, you know, you move, you move outlets here and there and things like that. And then you relabel it in the, in home assistant. And then you're in the China map, all of that, getting the IPs wasn't hard. Getting the IPs to match the right device was the hard yep. part. Right. So this is, this is great. Even things like, um, so I've got, uh, like an ESP32 for some mm-hmm. lines that I've got, which actually stopped working yesterday, which is quite annoying. And I have a, a Sensibo mm-hmm. little air conditioning controller, where it's a cloud device. Yeah. Under, in that, it's just an ESP32, right? So when I go and log into my router 
I log in and go, okay, I need to find out what the IP address is of <laughs> the ESP home device, right? Everything yeah. is just called ESP32. ESP, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. I have no idea which one's which. So, you know, and then, of course, you've got to know which port number you need to access on to get to the right web UI or whatever. So, yeah, yeah this is a great little um, little addition. So, interesting. So, will it, does it only do like a web thing or does it even discover like the API ports and things like that? So like, for example, like my, my Wemo wouldn't have a local web server built in. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but it does have an API. Uh, well, assuming you have enough credit to your Wemos, but <laughs> you, you know, in, in a local device like that, that's API only. How does that work? Or does it just not find it? I think it's the, in this, at least in this iteration there, it's designed as a user configuration URL. So like an okay. API, they're not going to expose. So it's the idea is that you click the button and then you can log into the device or see the statistics or something. Right, 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 right. Okay, okay. So it's still, I would have still been just as yeah. frustrated <laughs> yesterday. Maybe you could find the IP address or something in your home assistant config or something. Config, would, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's interesting because it's not only just for devices, it's also for services. So um, things like Plex, Sonar, um, yeah, Spotify Piehole, right? And I actually, you know, had this problem literally like just like last week or something where I needed to access a service and I couldn't remember for the life of me what the IP address was is in the random Docker Compose file I have mm. on my synth. So I actually um, ended up going through, there's a awesome list uh, for self-hosted and yes. they have, you know, um, Amazing stuff. If check it out if you haven't already. It's an amazing list of great tools. All generally self-hosted, so you know, pretty much open source or close enough. And one of the services I found was called um, Heimdall, which is basically like a bookmarks uh, page for, I guess, your services. So I just run it through my Docker Compose, right. link it up, open up the port. Um, it has a nice background, but then you go in and you, you add your services. So um, Home Assistant is in there. So, you know, you go add uh, a link to Home Assistant. You put in your IP address. It gives a, puts in the Home Assistant logo. Um, and then you just go around and add all the things. The idea being that when you set up a new service, uh, you put in, for example, you know, if you've just set up uh, a Plex server, you put in Plex. That way you don't have to remember, you know, the IP address and the port number. Mm-hmm. You just have a little homepage with all your internal services that you can just click on and access and it is fantastic so now that nice. home assistant has this uh i may not need to use that as much but yeah i think just shows right like with all the ip addresses services and port numbers you have to remember yeah. that's a a great little feature this is actually it's actually a pretty cool i mean it, i know it's literally just a splash page but yeah it's yeah that's all it is cool. right it's it's yeah yeah, it, yeah it's, it, they're designed for, you know, like uh, server admins, sysadmins that yeah. have a whole bunch of, you know, services running on a, a single server and you just want an entry point to them all without having to bookmark everything yourself. Yeah, interesting. I wonder if this also acts like some kind of a proxy, which might actually be kind of cool, where you expose this to outside and then it can get to your whatever apps, but... Maybe I'm thinking a little ahead. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. You are. Yeah, but I'm sure there's something that <laughs> could do it, right? Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. No, that it's actually kind of cool. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, this, like, you know, the, the ability to actually go to the front end, I think, is just it's just a nice. Like, is it required? No, but it's definitely a nice touch. Um, 
it's also it helps like just reducing you know like if you've got an error in your plex configuration right yeah um, home assistant can say check out the there's an error in your plex integration right and you click on that and it says you know uh there's an error with this is your plex integration there's an error and then you've got a button right there in front of you that says mm-hmm. open plex configuration right and then bam you're into the plex server admin without having to fiddle around and find the ip address or port number yeah yeah exactly it's kind of a no-brainer but sometimes it uh you know it, it it took this long to get there right um yeah, but but exactly. it, it's it, it is nice i i definitely do appreciate that feature mm. so it's rolling out to services and uh integrations across the platform uh, across home assistant at the moment uh so right yeah. now they've done um a few so including sonos spotify sonar plex tasmoda piehole yeah and as i said a whole bunch more and i'm sure more will be added over time so it's it's not everything it's just static kind of services that get added to it yeah, yeah. So if there's an integration that, you know, they know has a static sort of site or, you know, where they can work out, you know, for example, like your Plex server, they can work out, mm-hmm. all right, if you're connecting to this IP address, then this is where your Plex config, this is where your Plex web server will be, then they can add that link there. Interesting. So if you're a, if you're a specific service owner then, or uh, integration owner, rather, um, hopefully that means that, you know, you can just kind of go back and it's a quick step to get to these services, whatever that might mm. be, right? Um, from from a developer perspective, so that you can actually just go in and uh, quickly add that and say, look for the URL here, and off you go. Yeah, I think they've, um, they also released as part of the beta, or just even before the beta, they, um, on the Home Assistant Dev's Twitter, they released um, updates for people that make custom Home Assistant integrations and say, hey, mm-hmm. uh, we're introducing this feature. You know, If you want to add it for your um, integration, this is what you need to do. So I'm guessing yeah. there's going to be a whole bunch of updates coming through hacks as well for those custom components to support it. Yeah, which is great. All right. Um, another new feature, entity categories. Um, now, before you get too excited, you can't categorize your entities, as the name would suggest. But essentially what what's happening is um, we have various types of entities, and Home Assistant is breaking it down into three different types, uh, specifically primary configuration and diagnostic basically what happens is um, primary entities are the those entities that get exposed to things like your google home or or uh, the amazon echo devices but uh, and the other ones aren't uh, exposed so again when we're talking about a primary entity that could be something like a like a switch or something like that um, the configuration entity might be something like a um, thing that says okay i mean in the example of a dyson fan you might have Again, your on-off switch as your primary. You might have a oscillate switch or something like that as a configuration. So it's to go a little bit deeper into that device and uh, and you know make whatever kind of change or tweak into that device. And then your diagnostic entity uh, might be like, hey, you know, this is what you have remaining on a filter or something like that, right? So that might be that might be kind of akin to how how that would be set up now. To me, you know, the fact that a configuration entity, if it's something like an oscillate switch or a night mode toggle or something like that, if that doesn't show up, I, I kind of do want that in my Amazon Echo, right? To say like, hey, what's your face? Turn on night mm. mode or turn on or oscillate the fan or whatever that is, right? So now hopefully that doesn't mean that um, I have to set up a switch with an automation to trigger this other switch that, you know, uh, jumping through hoops, right? Like the, the diagnostic piece, 
fine. I get, I don't, I don't care to ask, uh, at least me personally, I don't care to ask, uh, my, you know, voice assistant to say, you know, how much, what's left on my battery or on my filter mm. or whatever. It'd be cool, but I don't care that much. It's not, it's not functionally relevant, but I don't know. To, what are your thoughts on that, Phil? So it's interesting. Um, I actually, I was in two minds about it when I read this and, and when I installed the beta, I actually mm. got caught out um, with a few uh, of the integrations that have, you know, changed over because there's, this is like a pretty big breaking change in this release, I think. And there's no, you know, you know, generally when they do a massive breaking change, they'll give like two release uh, warnings, right? But there's no yeah. warning in this one. Um, so first of all, uh, I always found it frustrating in Home Assistant when I would link up a new device, you know, taking the example of a Sonos speaker, right? I'd link up a Sonos speaker and, you know, as part of the Sonos speaker would come in, you know, like a switch for um, a alarm and then a sensor for, you know, is night mode on or, or whatever. And all those would immediately, like, I would look at my phone and there'll be like an alert from the Amazon Echo app saying, hey, we've discovered 17 new devices on your network. And then I'm like, what are these 17 new devices? And they're all linked to that one Sonos speaker that I've just added into Home Assistant, right? Because it's added in, you know, all the sensors, all the switches, right? And then you go and say to the little lady, hey, turn on the living room speaker, right? And she doesn't know which entity to use. So from that point of view, I'm really happy uh, that this is in now because it sort of, you know, as a, a new user experience, when, you know, you add a speaker, you just want that one entity to come in, the primary entity to go in mm-hmm. to those, you know, external parties, right? Um, I did, in the taking the example of uh, the Sonos speaker, I found that uh, one of the, uh, I think it is a broken change in this release, well, there's a Sonos set service or set option service in Home Assistant that's been removed. Uh, yeah. That was a broken change for me. So then to... I use that service to turn some lights on some speakers on and off. Uh, so to restore that, I then had to go into the di- uh, to the device config, and I had to enable those particular uh, you know features uh, or those yeah. particular switches to come back. Right there, they were disabled by default. So it was a bit uh, confusing at first, but you know I, I understand why they've done it. So uh, yeah, I, I think it's. Probably for the best, I think it's going to be uh, a bit challenging for people upgrading uh, and seeing, you know, maybe all your you know services no longer existing, um, entities right. that you thought would be exposed to your Google Home or Amazon Echo no longer there. Yeah, and and hopefully, hopefully the things are categorized properly. Like like again, I the the example that you know with the with the fan that I used was mm. you know arbitrary, right? And not necessarily exactly indicative of how that feature works, but. Hopefully those are categorized properly so that, you know, whoever's building these integrations, uh, you know, realizes, hey, maybe this is something we want to expose to whatever. And that that should be a primary switch rather than a yeah, secondary yep. kind of a, uh, or a primary entity rather than a secondary um, thing. So, I mean, the in, in the blog post, the example they use is, is a light bulb, right, where the light itself is an entity. Um, but the, uh, you know, the power on configuration is is a configuration. Uh, which that's fine. I'm not, I'm not going to be telling my voice assistant, you know, when my bulb turned, when, when I lose power, it should auto and gain it back. It should automatically do this. Fine. Yeah. Not the biggest deal. Yeah. 
right? Um, I'm, I'm, my concern is that, you know, a couple of these might get switched around where it might cause some breaking changes to a decent degree, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. And I think, yeah. And one of the, and I think probably the biggest thing that might catch a few people off now is, and if I'm reading the breaking changes correctly, is that uh, for these secondary and diagnostic sensors, or well, mm-hmm. basically for the secondary, you know, switches, if you have them in like a home assistant group, for example, uh, and you have like um, a service, you know, group dot turn off, um, sorry, like group dot, you know, Sonos night mode, right? For those yeah. uh, secondary switches that aren't, you know, the primary media player component or something, they will no longer respond to those service calls from home assistant. So if you have them in a home assistant group, they the service call won't do anything. What you'll need to do is you'll need to go in and um, specific, and specify that particular entity ID. So for the example of the Sonos night mode, if I had a group of all my Sonos speakers having a night mode in one group, I couldn't do that from a home assistant group. I'd have to then you know, replace that call and specify each individual speaker as the entity ID and yeah. turn that switch off. Um, I think that's going to catch a few people off guard, maybe. Particularly, you know, it's a, there's no real way to work out, you know, is this a primary or secondary, you know, div- entity unless you go into the device config and see where it lies in those categories. Yeah, yeah. And so, and hopefully, hopefully... You know, that is streamlined. Again, I haven't played with this myself where, you know, having seen those multiple, I'm, I'm looking at the at the GitHub right now uh, of the PR. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I haven't, I haven't seen that in mine yet, um, but I'm sure it's coming. You know, there's uh, just, again, looking through the release notes, there's a ton of stuff that's affected, right? Like, uh, and, and these are some major integrations too, right? Uh WLED, Synology, NAS, Shelly, Xiaomi, yeah, uh, yep. the Xiaomi Mio, um, Brother, MQTT, like SwitchBot. There, there's there's a bunch of stuff that's affected. Again, I, I, I'm not saying this is necessarily a bad thing. I'm just hoping that it's it's not done in a, um, or, or, or it is done in a thought out way rather. Yeah. And I think, you know, with, you know, a big change like this, there's always going to be someone that, you know, it, this doesn't work for. Um, you know, I was lucky enough that I think, you know, I just had to update some calls to that Sonos set right. service or set option service, I should say, um, and maybe get a few other things around the place. But, yeah, I think, yeah, just depending on the way you've, you're using your devices and those, you know, things around them. Yeah, yeah. Hey, everyone. I just wanted to take a minute to talk about the Eufy Video Lock. It's a smart lock that's really easy to set up with just a Phillips screwdriver and no extra drilling. It's got a keyless entry, so you don't need to worry about fumbling with the keys when your hands are full. Also, you don't need to worry about handing out extra keys when you're in a pinch, your kids losing them, or people copying the key and passing it around to each other. Something else I like about the Eufy Video Lock is that it has a camera built in and it works as a doorbell as well. Personally, I think the Eufy video lock is great for apartments or cottages where you can't necessarily add extra holes for a video doorbell. My favorite part about it though is that there isn't a monthly fee and your recordings are locally stored, so you don't have to worry about someone else owning your doorbell data. You can find it on Amazon, or if you want to know more, search Eufy video lock, that's E-U-F-Y video lock, 
or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door. But on to other things. So uh, there's been major updates to Tuya in this release. So I don't know if you've been following yeah. Frank's Twitter or not, but uh, he has, but, oh, did you see like you posted up a picture <laughs> full of like, I don't know, like a, you know, a whole bunch of Tuya devices. Um, one, I was very jealous. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, if he gets to if he gets to spend his days, you know, just playing with all these, you know, fun, awesome <laughs> IoT gadgets. Um, but yeah, he's been hard at work making uh, the two integration more solid. Um, so yeah. there's a whole bunch of new devices now supported. Um, I believe it's all going to be via the cloud as well. Um, so there's no, so this isn't a local two-year replacement. Um, they're still missing the locks and remotes, but yeah, great work, Mr. Frank. Um, yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was funny. One day I, I opened Twitter and I just see like Frank going on a rampage. Yeah, yeah, just he had like a, a big bunch of Twitter bugs, thread on it, right? Like, it's, yeah, it was yeah, like yeah. live tweeting his whole experience, <laughs> right? <laughs> which, which Frank, I know you listen to the show. Just keep keep doing that kind of thing. It's, yeah. it's honestly it's amazing just watching you kind of go through just those and knocking out like thirty different like things all at once. It's uh, I don't know. I I, I found it. I don't know if I want to call it entertaining, but I, I definitely found it uh, like holy crap! Like you're you're just picking one entity and just or one integration and just build rebuilding it from the ground up, right? And and the two year yeah. stack is fairly large, so yeah, it's interesting because I know like in the last release, two year that was the first release of the two year official integration, yeah. and they were only missing covers. I wonder what's you know prompted Frank to go in and. And sort of, you know, rewrite it. Like, is this the same? Is this, is he improving the official tier integration? Is this like a another tier integration? Like, obviously, yeah, you know, know, it, yeah. it's you know better for home users that you know the tier integration is more solid. But I just yeah was hoping, you know, with the official like with two actually you know running with it, mm-hmm. um, that you know this wouldn't have been required. But we'll see. Maybe there's maybe we maybe I've missed something there. Well, I mean, regardless, I mean. It's it's again. I'm all always about stability and all and, and all of that. So yeah, no matter what it is, uh, thank you, Frank, for that one. I, I don't I don't even use two your devices and and still thank you. For that one. <laughs> all right. Um, what else? Icon picker. Um, so now you can change uh, an entity's icon just within uh, Home Assistant. So you don't necessarily need to know the MDI or the Material Design code for it, right? So. Um, if you have customized some of your icons in the past, you'll know that you need to type like MDI colon, mm. uh, whatever the material design icon name is. And if you're not familiar with that, basically material design icons are a standard set of icons that you see for, you know, used throughout different applications, whatever, right. They might be emojis that might be different, like icons, like the lightning bolt to say, you know, a device is turned on or off or whatever that is. Yep. And, uh, and, and. You know, those are, it's a standard set of device, or a standard set of icons uh, known as material design icons. Um, I, but now you there's an icon picker, so you don't actually need to know that code or anything like that. Um, there's actually a really good uh, Visual Studio uh, or VS Code, sorry, mm, there is. Uh, plugin for that too, which I use just so I know I'm using the right one. So sometimes it's like I want an outline, sometimes I want a full filled in yep. one, whatever that is. I don't remember what it's called. I'll find out and put it in the show notes. Um, but uh this this is nice because you don't need to do that. <laughs> so which which I kind of like. This is one of those things where I'm like, really like this. I, I, I 
I knew it wasn't there, but now that you think about it, you're like, huh. Yeah, like an icon picker probably would have been a good idea <laughs> Makes a sense. fair few releases ago, right? Like, Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. But again, I'm glad it's there. Yeah, and of course, open source, you can, I could have just put a pull request in, but, uh, you know, there you go. Yep. <laughs> um, all right, so the next ones, uh, let me try and explain. I think it's a, a pretty good uh, feature, though. So offset for time triggers. So uh, you can have uh, date-time entities in Home Assistant. So the most common would be if you have a smart speaker or uh, something like that, for which might have an alarm. So, for example, on Sonos speakers, if you have an alarm set, they expose an entity in Home Assistant, which is just a date-time, right, with when the alarm is going to go off in the future. So right. it might be, you know, tomorrow at 7 a.m. With You can then, in your automation, you can then use that sensor as a trigger value. So, for example, uh, trigger this automation at the time of, you know, the the next alarm. You can now add an offset against those time triggers. So if you have an alarm for 7 a.m., you can then say five minutes beforehand or five minutes after that alarm, trigger this automation. So this would be good if you have, you know, like a morning wake-up routine. Um, mm-hmm. You know, maybe you, you've got those uh, lights that you want to, you know, slowly mimic sunrise coming in uh, five minutes before your alarm. You know, you can now do this without needing to go in. And previously, you would have to create, you know, like a template sensor, calculate, you know, right. when's it firing, do five minutes beforehand. Um, <laughs> yeah, all that sort of stuff. So, yeah. No longer have to do that. It's all can be done in YAML. So fantastic little feature. That is actually pretty cool. It's again, it's a little things that kind of help here and there, right? Yeah, exactly. All right, uh, let's talk new integrations. Again, we're not. There's not a ton here to to talk about this week, but um, look in. Um, so I guess they they provide. Uh, you know, f- focuses on providing devices. Um, you know, that integrate something with like a local e- API. Um, so that is now supported. So if you use something like, um, it's, it's basically, it's a universal remote that, um, you know, integrates with different like Google assistant, blah, 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 whatever. Um, but yeah, if you use this, like a IR blaster, like maybe like control your infrared air conditioner or something with it. Yeah, I think, but I think it's more meant for like smart devices right so it's got like again like native home kit support um so on and so forth so to bring basically to act as a bridge um to ir devices like you said but to to bring those in into whatever the modern world right yeah um so if you've got like a crappy old um air conditioner that uses just ir and nothing smart well great you can looks like you can you can pop this in and and i might be very wrong here but this is just you know browsing the website that's kind of the gist i'm getting i think it was right? a like kickstarter they, um so it looks classy. oh cool yeah this so actually looks say. i mean this actually looks pretty neat um but again it's oh yeah come join us on product hunt yeah yeah uh it's not too bad it's like 60 bucks um it's not the cheapest but Probably it's like expensive it sounds like a similar competitor to like the broadlink rm Program. yeah 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 it's not i don't i don't see it being like a replacement for like a logitech harmony or something like that mm. i think it's more kind of just the old bringing kind of the old school devices into the modern world i mean unless unless you have a really old tv that doesn't have any kind of um you know smart features or anything like that and it's ir yeah. only then 
cool. Uh, <laughs> this might work for you, but <laughs> you know, regardless, so that integration is now in uh, in Home Assistant, which is kind of cool. Learn something new about a product. There you go. Uh, other noteworthy changes: uh, Nest has Web RTC support, and mm-hmm. they've also added support for Nest battery cameras and battery doorbells, which is quite interesting. I know, um, so I've got the Ring video doorbell, which is battery powered, and I think I can get like the latest snapshot from the Ring servers, which I have to pay a subscription for. Yeah, but I can't view like live, you know, footage from that camera. Yeah. I've also got a a Rayolink, Rayolink um, solar-powered camera as well. Once again, right, like because it's solar-powered, there is no ability for me to tie it into like a Blue Iris or, you know, yeah. get a live feed in Home Assistant, right, because, you know, it takes too much battery, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, if that support is there from the Nest battery-operated cameras, that is really cool because that's like one of the drawbacks of going battery for me like you can't you know view a live feed in home assistant because of the battery so i wonder how they get around or well i don't think they're getting around it i wonder how Mm. what kind of an effect that has on battery right so even even if you are using this i don't you know is it is it a good idea (laughs) i I assume like maybe it's not like running a live feed maybe you'd have to like trigger the live feed or something if assuming live feed is supported right um you know to save the battery and then it would have a timeout i'm sure but yeah, like, because I know, like, with the the real link, they're yeah. just like, no, these cameras do not support any of those protocols, like on V4, RTSP. Yeah. They just like, no, do not support it. We're not allowing it, right? So, yeah, very cool. Yeah, no, that's neat. Another noteworthy change: uh, a tamper device class is uh, is now available for binary sensors. So, if there's some kind of a um, like a device tampering sensor on there, whatever on no, whatever inter- whatever device you're talking about. Uh, that can now be brought in as its own device class, which is kind of cool. I haven't really You'll seen see. anything with that would have that, but I'm sure that it's out there if it's, it's being built. It's pretty popular in things like um, like Z-Wave and Zigbee, like motion sensors. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like I think the idea being that, you know, if you were to walk up to a motion sensor and change its batteries because it detects it's vibrating all of a sudden, it will then trigger to your Z-Wave controller to say, hey, uh, I'm not in a normal state here, right? Like I'm something's being tampered with. Um, and right. then you can do like a different automation, right? So then you could yep. trigger an alarm or a siren, I guess, which Home Assistant now has as of, you know, a couple of releases ago. So very cool. I think Frank added this because um, he was working on the two-year devices and they had tamper stuff. So Interesting, well, yeah. Yeah, add support for it. Um, and then, you know, we can extend it out to Z-Wave and Zigbee and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Another cool integration, or another cool noteworthy change, I should say, is support for fan groups. So if you're familiar with light groups, you could, you know, if you've got multiple lights um, from different manufacturers and you want to group them all together as a single entity in Home Assistant, you can do that. Now you can also do it with fans. So, you know, if you've got like a Dyson fan, a Xiaomi fan, maybe a, a big ass fan, uh, in your ceiling, yeah. you can have them all grouped as a single entity in Home Assistant. You know, turn them on to level one; they will all turn on to the same level one applicable setting for that platform at the same time, and then turn that one single fan off, and all fans turn off. So, very cool. All right, um, some breaking changes. Um, obviously, there's more in the release notes. These are just a quick uh, overview of what's there. So, if you're running your own. Uh, 
or sorry, if you're running Home Assistant in your own environment, this would kind of affect you, but Python 8 is now deprecated uh, and will be removed in 2022.1. Uh, support for 3.10 isn't really there yet, so you should really uh, upgrade to 3.9. Um, again, if you're doing, you know, whether it's, um, you know, Home Assistant OS, supervised container, whatever that is, you don't have to worry about. If you're dealing with a virtual environment or some other custom installation, you uh, then then you have to worry about it. Other than that, you don't really need to do anything about it. Home Assistant will take care of all that. Mm. It's interesting that, I don't know, it's probably affects, you know, like a small percentage of users, but it's interesting that they're, you know, or they're deprecating Python 8 without having support for, you know, Python 10 out. Yeah. Like, you know, and I should say like Python 3.10. Um, yeah. You know, they haven't finished that yet. I mean, maybe they, you know, no, oh, it's only a little bit left to go. We'll have it out in the next release or something, which is fair enough. But it just, I don't know, like it seems very premature to say, hey, uh, we haven't finished uh, support for 3.10, but, uh, you know, bam, here's uh, we're now deprecating, you know, because I know yeah, they want to keep unless... you know, only two cycles behind, but. Yeah, unless the idea is, you know, they're they're gonna be they're gonna be having three dot ten support before twenty twenty two dot one. Yeah, oh, I imagine they would. Like, well, and this puts right. them under like a bit of pressure to now do it right. Like, because otherwise, you know, if they don't sure. come twenty twenty two dot one, they're only gonna have one version of Python officially supported, yeah. right? So, I mean, it might be, but I don't I don't see that happening. But it might be. Yeah, I yeah, I'm sure they've got. Uh, it just seems like. A bit premature for me to like. I, I don't know. It's just my personal thing, right? Like, don't. I wouldn't say, hey, uh, we've only got one official supported version, right? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's just my personal preference. Um. Anyway, so another set of breaking changes, which is potentially going to have a bit of an impact if you've you know been around with Home Assistant for a while, or maybe you've set up uh, the recorder in a certain way. The Home Assistant project is now going to explicitly define a set of databases that will be supported by the recorder component. So only the following databases will be supported after 2022.1. That is MariaDB greater than 10.3, MySQL greater than 8.0, PostgreSQL greater than 12, and SQLite greater than 3.32.1. If you are using any other integration for the recorder component, it will not be supported. And after 2022.1, the recorder just won't record any entries to it. So when I saw this, I'm like, that's it. I set up my MySQL Docker container like years ago. I'm sure it's not upgraded enough. I'm going to have to, you know, restart everything. But luckily, I haven't seen the warning in my config, so I assume I'm safe. Um, But I'm sure there's people out there that are going to be caught out by that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, I guess once in a while, it's okay to do that. Um, but again, I understand that they're, they don't want to sit there and support like exactly. Oracle database for the two people that use <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Home Assistant yeah. with that, right? Like yeah. that, that part makes sense. And and it sounds like they've got, you know, for the most part, most of the majority ones, right? And then what's neat is again, they can see for people that have telemetry turned on, I'm guessing mm, they can exactly. see which, which of these integrations they have. Um, I haven't actually looked, so I might, I might just be blindly saying that, but. No, but that's probably what's fed into this, you know, why they've gone with this decision, right? They can see, yeah, um, you know, all right, if we're going to support, like, you know, X amount of people have MySQL, let's make sure that we at least support this version because it's considered latest. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, to me, that makes sense, right? Like, it's, 
um, again, it's not, it's not about the version numbers for me. It, it's more about the actual platform, right? Mm. Um, and, and again, between uh, Postgres, MySQL, Maria, and SQLite, I think, I think they're fairly covered. Now, again, people might be, you know, getting their pitchforks ready to, to, you know, <laughs> to go yell at somebody because whatever they use isn't supported. But again, keeping in mind that this is meant to, um, it's meant to streamline, you know, the, what's the word I'm looking for? It's, it's meant to streamline the developer's ability to maintain the software, right? So again, understandable. We've got to remember, like, I think, and, I, and I'm just, you know, spitballing mm-hmm. here, I'm, you know, I have no inside knowledge here, that with all the recent, you know, statistics and long-term statistics changes that they're introducing, right, this is where that data is going to be. Um, and you'll notice that, you know, all the databases that are going to be officially supported now are SQL-based, right? So they clearly, you know, by just limiting to those, you know, types of databases and, and those versions, they're going to ensure that, you know, when they come to do some more advanced, um, you know, long-term statistics and keeping indexes in order yeah. and, and keeping that database running smooth and fast, um, yeah, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, will your custom database, whatever, not custom, but like, will the a non-supported database still mm-hmm. work? Maybe, I don't know, but it's um, definitely recommended to go with one of these ones, right? I mean, again, like Microsoft SQL isn't on there. Oracle isn't on there. Again, this isn't meant for those use cases anyways, for the most part, but, mm-hmm. you know. And plus, I guess, you know, as they start doing, you know, migrations and, and updates, you know, you might not mm-hmm. get those new table keys or columns or anything like that. So eventually it'll stop working. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, worst case, I mean, I'm sure somebody will come out with some kind of custom component <laughs> that supports yeah. it. It's just, this is the official project won't be supporting that, right? Which I'm okay with. I don't know. Moving on, the Xiaomi Mio. So if you use the Xiaomi Mio platform, attributes for some of the vacuum entities have been replaced with sensors. So again, if you have if you have anything around that, then you should probably look at this. So I think that yeah, that's going to be related to that you know those primary, secondary mm-hmm. you know sensors. Um, in a of, I think over the coming releases, we're going to see a few platforms doing this. You know, removing those attributes and putting them out into sensors. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and Xiaomi, you know, vacuum cleaners are very popular in the community. So I think this is going to affect a few people. Yeah. All right. Simply Safe. Uh, if you're using the Simply Safe integration, it now requires a new web based authentication method. So when you start up, Home Assistant's going to automatically prompt you to reauthorize your instance. So you'll probably get like a little notification in Home Assistant and then just log in and go into the integrations page and reauthorize your. Uh, configuration there. Yeah. Sonos. The Sonos.set option service has been removed um, and instead now it has individual switch entities which kind of controls the features and the display, right? So, you know, that's a that's one change, but there's actually a couple more. The night sound and speech enhance attributes are also removed. Um, so, you know, if you're if you're using these, then um, you probably want to replace them with the switch entities. Now, again, it sounds like this might be related to some of those changes that we talked about earlier. Uh, yeah, this is definitely which, what I got caught out. Actually, I just realized, as you were saying that, like those attributes, the uh, night sound and, mm-hmm. and speech of hands, attributes, they were like, I think I had originally created uh, template sensors to handle all that. To um, I'm just going to have to remove those template 
uh, switches and replace them with the official switches now. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be more solid Which, moving forward. I was right? going to say, it might, that, in that case, it might not be a bad thing, right? Just, again, it's not a, it's not a workaround. Yeah. All right. And some integrations leaving in this release. Uh, we've talked about these have been deprecated for quite some time. Uh, Ascent, Lyft, uh, Nello, and, of course, the Wink integration. Bye-bye. So, R.I.P. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for sticking around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for as long as you did. Yeah. Yeah. So if you have those platforms, just don't. Delete them, yeah. I think delete them from your config. Yeah. You're just going to cause errors. They're, they're done. They're not going to do anything for you now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that is 2021.11. That's right. Cool. All right. All right. Well, yeah. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Well, I'm going to go and add more services to my Heimdall dashboard now, I think. <laughs> the ones That's I, awesome. I, I can't remember. Right? Like, it all started because I couldn't find the the port number for ESP home stupid URL. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like I just, I got so frustrated. I knew it was on a Docker container somewhere. I'm like, that's it. I need to know where to act. Like I just, I didn't have a bookmark. I'm like, I'm, I'm doing this right. And so there it's born. Now I've got something else to manage and kill my time with. Right. There you go. Yeah. Nothing. And I will be the only one that ever used it. So I don't care. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Nice talking to you. Speak to you. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers. If you want to share your home assistant journey or come on as a guest, reach out to us at feedback at haspodcast.io. That's H-A-S-S podcast.io. The Home Assistant Podcast is hosted by Phil Hawthorne and myself, Rohan Karamandi. For links to topics we discussed today, check out our show notes on haspodcast.io.